What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. Today on Squawk Pod, this month's inflation report comes in below expectations, sending markets surging. We're incrementally making progress towards the Fed's goals here. The future of the SEC and a Bitcoin ETF. ARK Invest CEO, Kathy Wood. Anyone owning Bitcoin knows this is global. This is not just a U.S. opportunity, and it's big. Plus, Republicans propose their latest spending bill, avoiding a government shutdown with Speaker of the House Mike Johnson. The reason that all these things are happening is because Washington is obsessed with deficit spending. These are the pains of Bidenomics, and we have to change it. I'm CNBC producer Zach Valisi. It's Tuesday, November 14th. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Andrew by in three, two, one. Cue Andrew. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square on this Tuesday morning. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Curtin. Melissa Lee is hanging out with us for all three hours. Becky's on assignment today. Uh, We've got a lot going on, though. The Consumer Price Index, which measures the price of common goods and services, showed a 3.2% increase from a year ago, coming in below expectations, with no change from last month. In response to the news, stock futures surged and yields dropped as the market bets an additional rate hike from the Fed could be off the table. Here's CNBC senior economics reporter Steve Leisman to break down the numbers. There has not been a lot of inflation in the move up in interest rates, um, and it's interesting to see some move down in it. Um, it, it it's not quite there yet, but but uh, we're still quite a bit above uh, financial conditions being tighter. But this is a good report. There were some surprises to the downside, and it's not. It's been a bit since we've had surprises to the downside. We're incrementally making progress towards the Fed's goals here. One of the big standouts here was the owner's equivalent rent, which is the proxy for housing, uh, down to 0.4% after 0.6, surprising to the upside in the prior month. You got gas down 5%. That's headline stuff, not really a big issue. Uh, Used cars down 0.8. That's a big number there. Physician services also down 1%, while hospital services were up. Uh, And just one quick, airline fares down 0.9%. So that probably comes along a way that energy um, seeps into the service sector. So I think that if you were to draw, say, let's say the Fed was equal distant here between hiking and not hiking, this is an incremental move towards not hiking again. So I think the market likes it that way. It's a critical day uh, for House Speaker Mike Johnson's plan to avert a government shutdown. The Speaker's proposal, which would temporarily fund some parts of the government through January 19th and others through February 2nd, faces opposition from at least eight far-right GOP House members. They oppose a deal uh, that doesn't include spending cuts or changes to immigration law. That means the Speaker will need votes from Democrats who are going to meet this morning to see how many caucus members would support it. It's not yet clear uh, whether a vote on the CR will take place this morning or this afternoon. But ahead of that, 
Uh, House Speaker Mike Johnson is going to join us live from Washington. Yeah, and we haven't seen him, but, you know, is he, what's the honeymoon like? Is it, uh, is, should it be called, a, is this as good as it's going to get? And if so, should it be called a honeymoon? It is a, a job that some people thought not everyone would rush to say, yes, I'm ready. Um, but he did, and he, you know, whether it's the serve or whatever, someone's got to do it. And we, we admire him and, and respect him for that. But let's see how it's going. What day are we on? We're not. It, oh, goodness. Presidents Un get. We're in under 10 days, right? I think you can count on one hand. On yeah, two hands. Is yeah, presidents get 100 day. So he's got some time, but with, with this uh, caucus. I don't um, know. I don't know what this caucus. You might. <laughs> it's like 10 hours, maybe. Meantime, thousands of unionized Starbucks workers at uh, hundreds of cafes planning to hold their biggest strike yet this week. Strike is pegged to the company's Red Cup Day. That's their promotional event. It happens on Thursday when Starbucks gives out holiday-themed reusable cups. Unions accuse Starbucks of illegally refusing to negotiate in good faith over issues of staffing and scheduling. Starbucks has said that uh, it's the union that's refusing to negotiate fairly, and it's been months since union leaders have agreed to meet for contract talks since a Buffalo, New York store first unionized two years ago. More than 350 company-run stores have voted to unionize. None of the stores have come close to reaching a collective bargaining agreement with the company writ large. I'll check out the move in the price of cryptocurrency. XRP yesterday briefly spiked almost 13% after filing for a BlackRock fund based on the cryptocurrency showed up on the official Delaware website that registers Investment Trust Incorporated in that state. The only problem, BlackRock never submitted the filing. A BlackRock spokesperson confirmed that the filing for an iShares XRP trust was false. It is unclear how that false BlackRock information ended up on the Delaware website. Could have been a great opportunity for somebody to profit. Wow. If they managed to do that. I still get a lot of stuff. We all do on Twitter from the, the, XR, the XRP, the XRP peons, the XRPians. The Ripplians. Yeah, the, rip, the Ripplians. Oh, don't, don't call it that. Ripple. Uh, I don't know. They're, uh, they got a lot, lot going on. A lot of... A lot of things happened. Very, uh, I don't know. They're, they're very. Um, they got a lot of beefs. A lot of. Isn't that what you call it? On beefs. Uh, you call you it a beef. beef. A beef. Don't you call it a beef you call on it like on people? Twitter? People, if you have, a, if you have a fight, a beef. Uh, they got uh, a, a lot complaint. of beefs with a lot of complaints. I don't want to even talk about it. And you know, I don't really pay much attention to Twitter, and I don't have a blue check mark. So you may or may not be writing to me. You, you know what I'm saying? There you go. New details into the hack attack against the New York arm of the Industrial and Commercial Bank of China, one that disrupted uh, trading in the U.S. Treasury market. According to the Wall Street Journal, uh, back in March, the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security warned ICBC officials and others uh, using previously compromised systems made by cloud giant Citrix of the growing ransomware risks, suggesting the recent hack could have been averted. The ICBC is the world's largest lender in terms of assets. Uh, and its services unit forms part of the inner workings of the U.S. Uh, Treasury market. By the way, um, there are a lot of fake accounts. If you see an account with like all the, yeah, all the pictures of my family and everything, yeah. and, and I have a great new trading strategy for you, and all you got to do is follow me for the, and if there's only 600 followers, it's not me. It's not me. And I don't have a trading strategy sure, I for thought that was you. No. <laughs> I've shut them down. I've asked, I've gotten tired of talking to 
you know, the, the compliance people about shutting, and then they just pop up. Have you, have it's like whack-a-mole. Yeah, has anyone done yeah, that? Like Melissa Lee yeah. with three E's at the end. I mean, like all sorts of. Get ready nonsense. for my trading strategy, which will be re really. And I think they 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 try to prop, they're trying to profit profit off me. So the question is, who that would want to even mad. subscribe to your trading? That's strategy? what I mean. I mean not like, me. That me. I wouldn't want to trade. Really happy that oh really? I said talked about Bitcoin at four thousand, going to fifty thousand. So some people might want to talk to me. Okay, Melissa Lee. So maybe Come. it is your trading strategy. Yeah, maybe it is. <laughs> right. Maybe I do trade. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, ARK Invest CEO and CIO Kathy Wood on the company's five new ETF products, investing in Tesla, and the SEC's decision on a Bitcoin ETF. I think most people understand that Bitcoin is the money revolution. This is the first global, private, so no government oversight, digital, very important, rules-based monetary system in history. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, Wealth Strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee and today for Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. New this morning, uh, Kathy Woods, ARK Invest is launching a uh, five, I shouldn't say a, five new ETF uh, products in partnership with 21 shares that offers investors exposure to Bitcoin and Ethereum future contracts as well as blockchain technology. The ETFs will not invest directly in digital assets, but we're going to talk about all of this and what it means. Join us right now at the table. First on CNBC is Kathy Wood, CIO and CEO of ARK Invest. Good morning to you. Good morning, Andrew. Okay, so should we, let's talk about these ETFs, and then I want to go broad and, and sort of get your sense of where the market is and where crypto's going and what's happening here. But, but tell us about these ETFs specifically and what, they're, what you're trying to do. Yes, uh, with our partner 21Shares, uh, which is the largest crypto ETP provider in the world, mainly European focused, um, we are launching five uh, e ETFs. Uh, the, the strategies are going to be around Bitcoin futures, Ethereum futures, uh, one will be Bitcoin futures and cash, uh, one will be Bitcoin futures and Ethereum futures. And then the last one will be uh, broader Bitcoin and companies exposed to digital assets, right. equities. How much of this is a dress rehearsal in your mind for a moment in which the SEC says, OK, cat's out of the bag. You can actually issue a, an ETF that's directly invested in Bitcoin. Well, it certainly is a dress rehearsal. Uh, we think there's a place. I think uh, these these um, strategies will be more probably institutionally focused, and okay. then 
uh, I think the, the spot coin, uh, Bitcoin ETF, will be perhaps more retail focused. Is that something you want to do eventually? Uh, a, a, a spot Bitcoin? Yes. yes. What's interesting about it is if you look at the pecking order, our filing is next in line. No, I know. You're, yeah. you're, you're on the list. So, yes. the question, so let me ask you about that because I think, and the question is actually at $36,000, do you think that the move that we've seen in Bitcoin over the last, I don't know, what, two months now? How much of that is a function of sort of a pent-up demand or an anticipation that the SEC, because uh, folks like BlackRock and Fidelity and you and others have made these applications, have the sense that it's, it's more likely to happen now than it was a year or two ago? Yeah, I and, and is that misguided? Is that realistic? What is that? I think what has happened, the change, is that the SEC actually asked us questions. I think asked us questions, asked BlackRock, probably has asked a lot. Uh, whereas before, our filings were just rejected out Outright. of hand. Okay. So that is movement. That is significant. And, you know, over the years, I've gotten to know the research people at, uh, at the SEC, and um, I'm very impressed. I was impressed by the questions they asked us, too. So, uh, What were the kinds of questions they asked? A lot of them were very technical. They're all about protecting the consumer. And, you know, of course, uh, the, the, the showstopper, at least from Gary Gensler's point of view, is he thinks uh, Bitcoin can be manipulated. And, uh, you know, this is a decentralized, transparent network. Uh, you can follow you can follow all the activity online. It's highly unlikely. Well, it had to be that because he taught he understands, Kathy, he's got enough. Not, not many people do. Uh, a lot of people don't have enough knowledge about how it works yes. to make an informed decision about Bitcoin. He taught at MIT about, so he understands yes, he that it's not a Ponzi scheme or a beanie baby. Right. So there has to be something else. Well, I, I don't know what it is. I have wondered. There's speculation that he's interested in the Treasury Secretary position at some point. What does the Treasury Protecting Secretary do? Protecting fiat from the government? Very focused on the I mean, dollar. It, it, very it, focused on. I don't know. I don't understand it myself because he definitely understands. He understands. So it's, yep. it, there's something else. There's something else. Okay, but, let, but how much do you account for the move in Bitcoin as, as speculation on an ETF being approved? And is it a buy the rumor, sell the news kind of situation, or is it just a straight shot if, in fact, that were to come to be? I, I am sure there is some anticipation, and there could even be a sell on the news. But the fundamentals, we put out a Bitcoin monthly piece every month, and you can see the health of the network using our on-chain metrics. The health of the network is... Uh, almost as good as it gets. And it seems like this is a bull market. Sure, we'll have puts and takes. Nothing goes straight up. Uh, but I think this flight to quality, um, Larry Fink uh, used that expression. We call it flight to safety. You look at what happened during the regional bank crisis. Bitcoin went from 19,000 to nearly 30,000. As the, the KRE, the bank, uh, the regional bank stock index, was imploding. If you look at the bank uh, stock index today, it is back down close to where it was in March. So when, uh, when Larry might say flight to quality, which is good, it's true, we would say flight to safety because there's no counterparty risk right. in Bitcoin. In terms of the ETF that, you, that is launching, 
um, that, that invest in equities related to Bitcoin. What do you think will be the better performer over, let's say, five years? An ETF that invests in the equity related to Bitcoin or Bitcoin itself? Uh, we believe Bitcoin will be the better performer longer term. But this is a diversified exposure through equities. There are companies, you know, we're trying to find the company that is, is going to produce the digital wallet. That will be a very important position. Is it Coinbase? Is it Square with Cash App? Is it Robinhood? In Latin America, is it Mercado Libre uh, or Nubank? So, uh, How much those overlap sorts of is there between this ETF that invests in the equity with the holdings in some of your other ETFs like ARK Invest? Probably the biggest overlap would be ARKF, the fintech uh, portfolio. Yes. You just mentioned a, a number of companies, mm -hmm. all of whom have had stocks that have have, have been challenged, mm -hmm. including Robinhood. Where, where do you, how do you think about those companies right now? Uh, well, we do think that each of them has a very good opportunity in the digital wallet space. Basically, if you think about WeChat Pay, that kind of digital wallet where all financial services take place, there's peer-to-peer -peer interaction, there's commerce over it. We believe that, um, you know, the rails in the United States have been good enough, right. uh, but uh, WeChat Pay showed the way, and I think we have a But is that a one-player winner, meaning, you know, and by the way, Elon Musk would like to be that winner yes, with X if he absolutely, could be. absolutely, absolutely, and, you know, I, I think he's got big plans. Absol he started in the fintech space and, of course, sold out to PayPal, so, yeah. I mean, okay, on, on Coinbase... I used to go down and I had like four pages of coins that, and, and eventually it got to the point where people said there's Bitcoin and everything else. Do you think there's, that, is there an application for blockchain that involves something that Bitcoin does not lead the, the world with? Is there something else that, that you'd put in here? Sure. Uh, the reason we have focused as much on Ether, Ethereum as we have is we think, you know, that is the smart contract network. That is the decentralized finance network. So Bitcoin so and Ether, idea. anything beyond that? Well, you know, there are infrastructure players. Uh, Solana uh, is doing a really good job. I mean, if you look at uh, Ether was faster and cheaper than uh, Bitcoin in the day. That's, that's how we got Ether. Uh, Solana is even faster and cost-effective than uh, Ether. So, you know, there are infrastructure plays. Uh, we do believe Web3, digital assets, uh, uh, that's, that's a, a big idea, actually. Digital assets with property rights. First time ever uh, online that we're seeing property you rights. Think that some bears with Bitcoin have said, okay, there will be a Bitcoin 2.0 that someone comes up with. I, I don't know whether They've there's something tried. more perfect. There were so many Is there anything more the perfect? Day. Can there be something more perfect than, than uh, Bitcoin? I think most people understand that Bitcoin is the money revolution. This is the first global A lot of people don't private, understand that because they haven't read anything about it. Right, private, so no gov government over, uh, uh, oversight, digital, very important rules-based monetary sister system in history. And Art Laffer, uh, my professor, mentor, and friend, when he, f we, we did our first paper on and took our first position in Bitcoin in 2015. When he understood what this was, he said, I've been waiting for this since they closed the gold window in 1971. So it almost wasn't invented, it was almost discovered, people say. Yes. it was there. It was yes. already there, but yes. it just had to be. Well, okay, but you know, it's interesting. The other really interesting way to understand this is, 
In the 90s, when the internet was uh, being, in, internet infrastructure was being put in place, no one expected financial services or commerce, so they forgot to build that part uh, uh, yeah. into the blockchain. This is simply bringing uh, uh, financial services into the internet age. It's the internet so, financial system. So I went back to look. You and I sat together in 2021 down at Javits Center. Yes. And I asked you, and by the way, this was when Bitcoin, I believe, was selling, it was, it was like $50,000. I mean, it was, it, was, it was much higher than it is right now. Mm -hmm. And you said over the next five years, you thought it was going to rise at least tenfold. Okay, so yes. I think you were looking at $500,000 yes. a coin. Yes. We're now 23, coming on 24. If we had this conversation in 25, 26, do you think we're still, are, are, you, on the, are you on track? Yes, I think uh, this regulatory breakthrough is very important to bring institutions uh, online effectively. Uh, and I think uh, BlackRock and Coinbase's uh, partnership uh, is going to be very important. The other thing that's very important from an institutional point of view, way back in 2018, uh, Cambridge Associates, which uh, advises yep. institutions, said, you may not like it, but you better have a point of view because this is a new asset right. class. It's a source of diversification. And we would add it's a hedge, if you're talking right. about Bitcoin in particular, a hedge against both inflation and deflation. And as you know, yep. we think the bigger yep. risk, risk is, is deflation. deflation. I wanted to talk to you about ARK Invest because that is probably the product that really puts you on the map in terms of being a household name to CNBC audiences. And, and we're sort of back at those pre-pandemic levels at this point. And I'm wondering how you think about, you know, you come on and you're very optimistic and you're very future looking, but a name, for instance, like a Robinhood, which we had on the screen, mm -hmm. at the time that you invested at the IPO, it was, it was revolutionary. What mm -hmm. they were doing was amazing. Mm -hmm. they, they revolutionized, you know, the, the, the landscape in terms of trading for the average investor. Today, are they as innovative as they were before, now that everybody has zero commission trading, now that, you know, what, what about them makes them innovative still? First of all, they are, they are moving very quickly internationally. In crypto, I would say they had, they've been much more conservative when it comes to the SEC. If the SEC deems something a security, even though others will disagree and it's probably going to the courts, they have taken it off. So that, I would say, has held them back a bit in the crypto space. Uh, but again, with regulatory clarity there, uh, we think they're running hard, and their user interface delights the consumer to this day. Uh, so we think they have a very special place out there, and we love it that they're, they're moving internationally. Coinbase is as well. They're all, this is a global. If it, anyone owning Bitcoin knows this is global. This is not just a U.S. opportunity, and it's big. And, uh, you know, if you look at, if you look at uh, both Ether and Bitcoin, our um, expectation is, well, that the crypto asset ecosystem will be dominated by those two and that it is going to scale from a little more than a trillion dollars today to $25 trillion uh, in 2030 uh, as this new world builds out. This is almost, I mean, I was at the beginning of the internet, not really, that was DARPA and everything, but as we were studying it in the market in the, in the 90s, this feels like that again. It is a very right. big idea. Can we pivot uh, before you go? Because I have a couple, couple of other companies I wanted to mention. 
Um, you've been very bullish on autonomy, yes. uh, vehicle autonomy of an ETF all around it, mm -hmm. robotics and the like. What do you make of what's happened with Cruise? Yes. The shutdown of Cruise, at least the temporary suspension yeah. of it. Uh, Derek Hazrashahi, who runs Uber, was on the broadcast last week. Yeah. He said he doesn't think that autonomy, in terms of autonomous vehicles or robo-taxis or the like, are a real thing for another five or ten years. Meaning, he, he's, and by the way, I think five or ten years ago he would have said five or ten years yeah. Ago, that was what you know. And, so and so would Elon. And, yes. And so so here we are. Yes. So what have you changed your view about that? No. I mean, you must have, because I imagine if we go get tape of a conversation that we all probably had five or sure. ten years ago, we probably said five 20, or ten years 22, from now. Twenty-two, twenty-three, right. twenty-four. We we actually uh, delay ours by one year relative to Elon, so maybe it should be two years. But here's where we've learned how important tesla's uh, proprietary data is uh, it's five million robots around the world cruise didn't have anything like that it had hundreds five million robots around the world collect data every day and send it right. back to tesla tesla has more corner cases which means disengagements accidents uh, information like that than all the other companies in the world combined and I have to tell you, watching the breakthroughs in AI that we are seeing, they are astounding. The, the speed at which this is moving. Right. Uh, so it is interesting. I think it's a data issue. Autonomous taxi platforms uh, are the biggest AI project in the world. They and therefore, we think Tesla is the but biggest you have AI sold, player. You've sold Tesla shares. And it's, so, you know, it used to be the number one holding, I believe, mm -hmm. in, your, in your ETF. It's now number three. You've sold yes. about 20 million shares. Yes. Why? So, um, well, whenever it goes up, it was up uh, about 150% relative to our other names, many of which had not moved. So we will all, always um, uh, recycle that way, take profits. And uh, I would also say, listening to Elon on the last conference call, he's very concerned about the economy, mm. as we are. Kathy, will, will, you, will I look outside five years from now and see GM and Ford EVs everywhere? It's very interesting to hear both of them pull back saying, but do you uh, think I, I, with this new way, I, I think I don't even know if we'll be talking about GM so and Ford in five years. What is interesting about the news that both of them are pulling back for profitability reasons, they can't be profitable in this space unless they scale. That's how this That's works. It's a catch 22. So it's catch 22, and their shareholder base is very internal combustion engine oriented and they want their profits now, and they want their dividends now, uh, and they don't want that kind so of So how are they going to do it? Losses. Will they be able to? I don't know. I don't know. All I know is, back to the Tesla question, as they are pulling away, I, our market share uh, expectations for Tesla go up. Right. You know? And so to answer the question, we sold as it was up 150% relative to everything else. We have not sold m much since then. And it will, all, it will, if we're right on this autonomous uh, taxi opportunity, it will remain in the top five in, right. in our fund, in our is flagship fund. Is missing NVIDIA, is that a big regret? Um, so what we do, we got into NVIDIA at five, it's now 500. We rode it in the flagship into the high 300s, and then we said, wait a minute, uh, this is a really important AI play. We've said that for the last 10 years, almost since uh, we founded the firm. Surely there's not just one winner here. And as we've done our research, for every dollar of hardware spent, there will be 
15, 10 to $20 of software. And the key is, the key in terms of the companies, every company in our portfolio we look at through this AI lens, do they have proprietary data? Data that no one else has, they can use all these foundation models, develop specialized models, make their businesses more creative, interesting, and productive. Kathy Wood, thank you for joining us thank this morning. You. Appreciate it. Great, Great to see, to see you. you. Absolutely. Next on Squawk Pod, Speaker of the House Mike Johnson on avoiding a government shutdown and his first endorsement. I'm all in for President Trump. I, I know, I expect he'll be our nominee. We have to make Biden a one-term president. We have to make radical changes because the American people are hurting. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Joe. Later this morning, uh, House Speaker Mike Johnson will face his first steps uh, in avoiding a government shutdown as the House is set to vote on his two-tiered continuing resolution plan. House Speaker Mike Johnson joins us this morning. Mr. Speaker, it's, it's, great to, uh, it's, it's great to have you on, finally on Squawk Box. Welcome. Good to see you. Great to, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. I, I don't think it's the same. As, as a president gets a, a hundred days that we got to decide what, how, how it's going. I think we need to cut that down for a speaker, don't we, just with the, with the way things have been working? How long do you think uh, you got before we judge you? Is it already, are you already beyond that period? I, I think I may be judged this morning. We'll find out. I've been on the job less than three weeks, but um, it's been like drinking from Niagara Falls. But, uh, you know, look, we're in good shape. What, what the House Republicans are committed to is changing the way Washington works. We have to. We're in this economic moment right now that has become a real crisis. I mean, you all talk about it all the time. You're educating your viewers to let them know that $33.6 trillion in federal debt is not sustainable. The Moody's downgrading of our credit rating is a very serious issue. And the reason that all these things are happening is because Washington is obsessed with deficit spending. These are the pains of Bidenomics, and we have to change it, and we're putting a flag in the ground to do that. Uh, it, 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 plenty of blame to go around, obviously. Bidenomics hasn't helped, but uh, you're well aware of, of the deficits that, that we ran in, in the, uh, the Trump administration as well. Uh, I, I know, Mr. Speaker. I'll tell you what, what one thing that um, th- this would keep us open, but I mean, aren't we going to have to come back to these very difficult, intractable uh, issues Two more times in January and February, if we do it this way, aren't we just sort of delaying some of the hard decisions that need to be made, some of the tough negotiations that are going to need to be made? Well, listen, we're rolling our sleeves up and we're looking forward to those tough decisions and those hard negotiations. If if we don't do the two-step, the latter CR, as we're calling it, it's a real innovation. It's a, a paradigm shift for how Washington works. But what that will do is allow us to actually have those fights, have those debates, to do it out uh, in the open so the American people can see it. If we don't do that, what is going to happen and what would have happened here again is another dreaded Christmas omnibus spending bill. Uh, this has been the habit here for 
for decades now, for a long time, as long as I've been in Congress and before, where the Senate jams the House right before the Christmas holiday with a giant bill that's thousands of pages long that very few people have read and spends, you know, last year $1.7 trillion, adding $100 billion in new spending, just sprinkling that on top. That is no way to run a railroad. And so this innovation, this laddered CR that we're doing, prevents that from happening. And I think we'll have bipartisan agreement that that is a better way to do it, to have the actual appropriations process. I began that immediately after I got the gavel, but here we are on the eve of November 17th. Uh, we have a shutdown looming and we've got to prevent that because that would do even more harm for the economy. Can you just historically explain how we got away from proposing a budget and living within our means the, the way it used to be done? How many, you said since you've been there, how many times have we done the omnibus before Christmas and how did we get there? Well, it's all I've ever known. I've been in Congress seven years, but it happened way before that. The, the process, the appropriations process in Washington has been broken for decades. We're trying to fix it. I've been on the job for less than three weeks, and this is a necessary first step to do it. But the way that we got away from that, you know, there's a law, there's a statute, a, a whole list of statutes that are uh, cobbled together in the, the Budget Control Act of 1974. That's almost as old as I am. And, and Congress made the law, set forth the dates. You know, the president is supposed to present a budget in early February. Congress begins its process. It's very methodical. June and July are the, supposed to be the appropriations kind of season. You finish it all up by the end of June in that time frame, and then there's plenty of time to do it before the end of the fiscal year. That hasn't happened. Well, I think lawmakers get lazy. I think that they like to punt these decisions as long as possible, and that is no way to do it because governing by continuing resolutions is, is not a healthy thing for an economy. It, it's, a, it's required us and, and has resulted in spending a lot more money than should be spent because there's not proper oversight. If we do the latter CR, and I think we'll pass this, it will allow us to consider spending in smaller batches. That's good financial stewardship. That's what the process requires. That's what the American people should demand instead of doing it all in one big giant bill. And I think that makes sense to the American people, and I think they're going to support us in that. The, uh, you must be at least hearing from the other side about, about some support. We heard from uh, Leader Schumer about it. I don't know whether Leader Jeffries um, has, uh, has weighed in yet, but how many do you expect to lose out of the, in your caucus? Will it be, for lack of a better term, I still call those eight guys the crazy eight because the, the former speaker uh, labeled it the Gates and the <laughs> crazy eight. Maybe that's not fair, but do you, will, will you get any of those guys? How many uh, Democrats do you expect uh, to, to be on, on your side here. And, you know, that was like the, the cardinal sin or the mortal sin that, that Speaker McCarthy, um, I, I guess, was guilty of, and, and he lost his job because of it. You're allowed to deal with, with Democrats at this point, Mr. Speaker? It's your honeymoon? Does it feel like a honeymoon? <laughs> No, and no, not much of a honeymoon in this job. The crises are, are too great. But here's the thing, what we're doing now is a little bit different than what Kevin was presented with. Um, he was in a jam as well, but, but by breaking this up and doing the CR the way that we are, it's, it's, a, it's a new uh, shift. Uh, yesterday you had on my colleague Andy Harris, who's a Freedom Caucus member, Dr. Harris. This was originally his idea, and we credit him with that and others who worked on it, but I think it's a real innovation. And so it's, it's different. This is a different thing than we've done before. I hate CRs as much as everyone does. It is not the way you're supposed to do it. And we're going to get right back to the regular budgeting 
process and that statutory outline that I, that I just uh, recounted for you, we're going to start that next year. We're not going to do this again. We're not doing this under my leadership. And I think we have a moment to change how it's done. With regard to the whip count, I'm not sure yet. This morning in about an hour or so, uh, I'll go in with all the House Republicans. Hakeem Jeffries will go meet with all the Democrats and uh, we'll figure out the, the final numbers. I'm working on uh, the guys and the eight that are all my dear friends and, and everybody across the conference. I, I want all Republicans to vote on this because this is the first step in making real change in the chaos here. You haven't made any enemies yet. That's what everyone says. You don't have any history uh, with anyone. No one's mad at you uh, yet at this point. That might not last long. That was why I was asking about uh, 100 days. You got President Biden with some of the lowest numbers of, of his presidency. Um, so here we're going to, you know, suddenly Republicans are, are going to be blamed for trying to shut down the government again in January and February and, and maybe once again snatching defeat from, from the jaws of victory by, by giving cover to the Biden administration for all the bad things that are happening in, in the economy. No, I'm, look, I, I think that is a way too cynical of an outlook. Everybody is operating in good faith. We just ran out of time. That we, we need more time to finish the appropriations process. What we've done is we set two deadlines, to your point, January 19th and February 2nd. January 19th is the first batch of bills. There'll be four there. We'll address the other eight uh, before the next deadline. But everybody's working in that regard. There, there are a lot of uh, measures in place that will create incentives for that. We have a, a structure in place that beginning January 1, there begins to be a 1% cut that sets in on some of these uh, government spending in the various areas. If we don't get all the appropriations bill done by the end of uh, the April time frame, then those cuts would, would set in. So I think there's an incentive for both sides to get the job done and do it differently. And this is, a, again, a big innovation in how Washington works. It's the first step. We also then can train our attention on getting conservative wins on the supplemental spending request of the White House, to, to call that out, to get real policy changes on the southern border, which we desperately need, to get proper oversight of additional Ukraine funding, if that materializes, get Israel funded. All those things we can look at separately and appropriately evaluate, debate, and bring our principles to bear on. We can't do that again if everything gets handled in one giant omnibus right before Christmas. So well, I guess this be was a, a really important step. I'd be remiss, I mentioned President Biden, he might, he it looks like the candidate in, in 2024. When you were uh, a name speaker, a lot of people said, oh, Trump ally, Trump, big Trump guy, big Trump ally. But uh, you, you, as far as I know, you have not endorsed the former president yet uh, for 2024. And this is, everybody's watching this show right now. This, if you're going to do that, this would be a great, great time to do it, uh, Mr. Speaker. You ready? I, ha I have done it. Yeah, I, I have. I have endorsed him wholeheartedly. Um, look, I was uh, one of the closest allies that President Trump had in Congress. He had a phenomenal first term. Those first two years, as you all know, we brought about the greatest economic numbers in the history of the world, not just the country, because his policies worked. And I'm, I'm all in for President Trump. I, okay, I know, good. I right. expect he'll be our nominee. Yeah. And, and he's going to win it. And we have to make Biden a one term president. We have to do that. I have so many questions, but but coming off of the back of that, just speak to it, because I, I think that there's a lot of Americans who look at the former vice president, former president, rather, as uh, fundamentally divisive uh, to the country. They look at January 6th and the like, and they, they think to themselves, even if you you like the policies that, that that came about, what it ultimately did to the country, questions about democracy. Uh, there was a story over the weekend in The New York Times talking about how he planned to approach immigration. I know there's a lot of folks who, who, who want uh, to be uh, harder on immigration, no question, but some real questions about how he thinks about that. 
Um, some of the things that have come out in the last couple of days about January 6th and his in, 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 intent to stay in that position, irrespective uh, of, of what the actual uh, public and citizens were voting for and how you think about all those things. Listen, I, I think when we're voting for president, it can't be about personalities. It's got to be about policies and principles. And if you want liberty, opportunity and security for, for more people in the country, you contrast the two policies and, and the principles of, of Trump and Biden. It's not even close. Under President Trump, we had a thriving economy. We had didn't have all these skirmishes around the world. We had relative peace because he projected peace through strength. We have exactly the opposite of all those things in President Biden. So I think you set aside those things and you look at what's best for your family. You look at what is best for your security, your safety, your the economy, your pocketbook, all of these things. We have to make radical changes because the American people are hurting. Hardworking families are struggling. We can't handle inflation. We can't handle these things. And these are the results of the policies of, of the Biden White House. And I think that's clear to most people. If then you I read the same piece Andrew's referring to. Uh, if he truly believed at that point of his presidency that, that it had been stolen and, and that there was too much fraud, uh, then I could see why, why someone would say, I'm not leaving, I'm staying here. But is that what you assume? Because if he did know that he lost the election and was trying to stay, then that, that's a dangerous precedent to, to return someone to office that wasn't going to leave office even if he knew for a fact that he had lost. So I guess you're, you would argue that he, that he really believed at that point, and maybe he still believes that he won the election. Well, he says, he, he say, he says it every, every which to. way. I, I take him at his word. I do believe that he believes that. Remember, I was one of his lawyers. I worked on the impeachment defense team twice in the House uh, to defend his positions. And, and I know how he thinks. And he's convinced that because of all the irregularities and everything else, that he was still entitled to that. I, I haven't read the piece that you guys are referring to because I've been a little busy the last couple of uh, days. But I will tell you, yeah. Which is you yes. said you take him at his word. Would you, would you agree with the idea that I think there's a lot of Americans that look at certain things that, that he has said during his presidency, before his presidency, now, uh, th that are fundamentally uh, not accurate? And I, I say that politely, meaning that, that, I mean, there have been things that he has said where right now, by the way, it's sunny outside, but it's like he's saying it's raining. And I think for a lot of Americans, they look at that and they say, that's very hard to trust. Well, listen, uh, there are a lot of people in Washington who say things that are not accurate all the time. Everybody does. We're all human. But I'll say this about President Trump with regard to that, to the election and, and what he believes about that. That is deep in his heart. I mean, I, I've talked to him personally about it. Many of us have. And over the years, you've heard him say repeatedly over and over the same refrain that he just felt like he was cheated in that election. And I think that's a core conviction of his. And when I say we should take him at his word on that, he believes it. Now, I don't know what comment you're talking about in this article, but I, but I know that he has been absolutely consistent from day one. And, and uh, he does believe in the rule of law. I mean, look at what he did on the U.S. Supreme Court, for example. He's gave us great justices that are restoring the integrity of that institution, in my view. Um, he had, we had, a, of course, many judges throughout the system that he appointed, and that's the longest-lasting well, legacy of any speaker, president. you're talking about the rule so of law. So he has law a good record and, on and that. You're talking about the rule of law, and he's now been indicted, uh, you know, on, on 40 different yeah. uh, charges. It's, it, there's such a juxtaposition be, be, behind the idea of rule of law and then things that he's done that may very well have broken the law. And I recognize Listen, that I there's elements there's... of it that may be political. I don't, I'm not even going to dismiss that, but I'll stipulate with you that there, there are elements that are probably true that are, that are political, but not all of them. 
Listen, I, I think this is motivated by political prosecutions, and, and we call it lawfare. That's what it is. It's just another way to go after a candidate. And what's happened to President Trump is unprecedented, unprecedented. And every time a new uh, indictment drops, it follows after some uh, favorable thing that he gets in the, in the poll or, or in the election or whatever. I mean, th th everybody can see this with their own two eyes. And I think the American people can evaluate that for what it is. You have these district attorneys and you have, uh, you know, the FBI and the DOJ that have been weaponized against Against their political enemies. I came off of the House Judiciary Committee. I served there. I've been in the hearings. I've questioned uh, Attorney General Garland and, and uh, Christopher Wray at the FBI. There's a lot of abuses that have been allowed, and we have to reform that. It's one of the things that Congress has to be involved in because we have oversight responsibility. So we're using the power of the purse here. We're using our oversight responsibility. We're, we're going to use every tool in our arsenal to make sure that we change the way Washington works and bring back people's faith in this institution because it's critically important to keep a constitutional republic. Can you change the way Washington works, Mr. Speaker, if the political polarization within the Republican Party continues? Because that, that could very well be the result of another Trump presidency. I mean, a lot of the challenges that you and the party face in terms of pass, you know, avoiding the shutdown has to do with the, the, the fissures within the Republican Party. A Donald Trump presidency, I would think, would all but guarantee that that remains as opposed to electing a more moderate Republican. Well, look, I'm an optimist. I, I, I look forward to the days ahead. I think our best days are ahead as a party. I think we have energy in the grassroots right now. I think uh, President Trump polling numbers is one indication about that or what people think about the future. And when he arrives and returns to the Oval Office, and I'm Speaker of the House, we will work together hand in hand on this. I think the thing that unites the party is our core principles. I keep talking about that. I talked about it the night before I took my oath of office. It's individual freedom, limited government, the rule of law, peace through strength, fiscal responsibility, free markets, human dignity. These are the things that have guided our nation since its founding. And right now, the Republican Party is the steward of those principles. The other team is, is doing the opposite. The Democrats are doing the opposite. And they're undermining those principles. So I think that's what rallies us. I'm excited to get on the campaign trail and go to every swing district in America with my colleagues and talk about those things, because I think that's what makes America great. Speaker, I just wanted to ask you a separate question. Uh, you've talked uh, quite openly, publicly, about the importance of faith and, and faith in your life. Um, I think it was the first day that uh, you had been uh, sworn in. It appeared uh, that you had, were praying uh, on the floor uh, of Congress with a number of other uh, congressmen. And there is a question about the separation of, of church and state. Uh, we often talk on this show about uh, folks, uh, about whether religion should play a role uh, inside a company, whether people should be allowed to, to pray inside a company. There's, it's one thing to, to pray outside and to, and to have your faith, and, and, and there's a great importance in that. But how do you think about that, and how do you think about the public perception of that? Listen, uh, faith, our deep religious heritage and tradition, is a big part of what it means to be an American. When the founders set this system up, they wanted a vibrant expression of faith in the public square because they believed that uh, a general moral consensus and virtue was necessary to maintain this grand experiment in self-governance that we created, a government of, by, and for the people. We don't have a king in charge. We don't have a middleman. So we've got to keep morality amongst us so that we have accountability. And so they, they wanted faith to be a big part of that. The, the separation of church and state is a, is a misnomer. People misunderstand understand it. Of course, it comes from a phrase that was in a letter that Jefferson wrote. It's not in the Constitution. And what he was explaining is they did not want the government to encroach upon the church, not that they didn't want principles of faith to have influence on our public life. It's exactly the opposite. Washington said, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. And John Adams came next and he said, 
our Constitution is made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. They knew that it would be important to maintain our system. And that's why I think we need more of that. Not an establishment of any national religion, but we need everybody's vibrant expression of faith because it's such an important part of who we are as a nation. Speaker Johnson, we'll be watching. And uh, I don't know whether it was, I guess I said, it's okay. Good luck. I don't want the government to shut down, I guess. So good luck uh, today and good luck in your... Uh, man, 100 days, uh, going to seem like 1,000 days probably when it's all said. Thanks for all your time uh, and fielding all the questions. And we appreciate it very, very much. Yeah, we do appreciate it. And we're the least of your problems probably with when you got, uh, you know, your caucus and then you got the other side to deal with. But uh, thanks for all your time this morning. We appreciate it very much. Thank you all. Appreciate it very much. Okay. Great to be with you. And that's the pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com.